All right, welcome everybody. My guest today on the podcast is Jim Grubman, who many of you know. And first, Jim, just thank you for, for joining us. I know you've been buried recently with uh, on the topics we're going to discuss today. So. Well, glad to be here and glad to be talking with you about this. Uh, it's an important topic and uh, I think we're gonna have a great conversation. I think we will too. And I think it's gonna be enlightening for a lot of people here. Now, just to put a frame around this for some people who don't know who you are and what we're talk talking about, you introduced the concept of Wealth 3.0, I believe in 2019 at, uh, at Purpose of Planning Institute's Rendezvous. And then yeah. we had this thing called a pandemic and things kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, and then more recently, you did an article that uh, called for more um, rigorous, relevant research around the 90% rule, which is really a 70% rule, which is really a rule we don't even know what it means. But yeah, we'll... it's not even a rule. Right. It's not even a rule, right? We'll talk about that. Um, but that research really connects to and is part of Wealth 3.0. Very so, much. So. Yeah. So, so today, you know, what I want to do is let's just talk about Wealth 3.0 and then how the research all fits into that and how this is really, um, as we've talked about before, this is really kind of the, the groundswell. Um, I was going to say this is a culmination. This isn't the culmination. This is the kickoff. I mean, this is a groundswell. It's the beginning, yeah, yeah. That's been and it's been going on for a while, but now it's it's reaching some critical mass. So uh, let's just start with for those who haven't seen it. Can you explain the concept of Wealth 3.0 um, and kind of how it came about uh, for you? Sure. Um, Wealth 3.0 came about as a result of a conversation actually that John A. Warnick and I had on an incredibly cold uh, day in January of 2019 in uh, Cambridge, where we were looking at, uh, he was uh, the topic or the theme for the July 2019 uh, rendezvous was going to be basically looking back, looking ahead. Um, it was uh, nine or 10 years since PPI really started having rendezvous. And we were brainstorming and he asked me to do a keynote that would, uh, you know, kind of tie things together and provide a perspective because um, we have different varying knowledge of, you know, the field and who's done what, where. And um, so I went back and I started thinking about it. Um, and I've been in the field since the late 1990s and uh, in a more active way. So I have some perspective and experience. And I started just saying, how am I gonna convey this as a narrative? Um, we know in our work that to be able to tell a story and to provide a language for something really helps people. Um, so I worked on it and uh, the keynote that I did in July of 2019 in Denver made a, an overview proposing a kind of uh, three-part historical paradigm, a couple of shifts. I described that my sense was that before around the 1980s, we were in what we might call Wealth 1.0. Um, wealth 1.0 is sort of a wasteland of not much focus on the family dynamics or psychological aspects of wealth and families. It was largely focused, if it did talk about families, uh, around dynastic wealth, the books that were written. Um, you know, there were a few very obscure psychiatric journal articles, um, but there wasn't much. And as you well know, um, 
the whole field of wealth management as it exists today wasn't even being wasn't even born then. It began in the late seventies and through the eighties and nineties. So that was one point of. And then I proposed that, as we just talked about, starting around the nineteen eighties and proceeding, in fact, up till now, we have had what I called wealth two point and that's been absolutely transformative in the rise and the building of wealth management as a field and an industry, psychology and, and wealth counseling, understanding of family dynamics, and all the really amazing thought leadership. Um, Jay Hughes's Family Wealth, Keeping the Family, which is hard to believe. It came out actually in the late 90s. I know. <laughs> It was like 1997 or something, and, and then reissued in 2004, and then whatever. This is not very old, right. um, but uh, the rise of uh, financial planning, the rise of life planning, you know, um, at that level of affluence, and just all the things that have created everything that we have now. And what I uh, was proposing to the audience at the rendezvous then was that my sense was we actually were beginning to move into the paradigm shift of wealth 3.0. What I raised was the idea that although many good things happened, absolutely profound things in 2.0, well, 2.0 has had a, a tinge to it that I became more and more concerned about that there's a level of fear basis, a negativity and a pessimism. And that one of the things that I pointed out was basically there's sort of three legs to a stool regarding that. One is the constant drumming, drumbeat of church sleeves to church sleeves in three generations. And the supposed proof that it's in every culture in the world. And then we always repeat you know, rice patty to rice patty is in, and basically, of course, because it's universal, it must be true. And then the second leg of the stool is the statistics saying, well, family businesses, we know family businesses, only 13% survive into the third generation, 3% and to make it to the fourth. Um, and so it's really hard. And then, you know, the third dagger in the heart is the Williams and Presser allegation that there's a 70% rule that wealth transitions fail by the end of the second generation, 70% fail. And we repeat that over and over and over again to clients. We tell ourselves, every advisor that comes in has those as the first slide on their presentation on the website. And what I said was, wait a minute, actually, do we really have evidence that it's true? We then, as you well know, Rod, cut to the chase, which is at this point, three years later, uh, several articles have been published. First of all, pointing out that the family business uh, statistics about 30% survived to the end of the second generation, 13%, 3%, actually was built on one study of 200 businesses in Indiana, I think it was, by John Ward and people, and it has been taken way out of context. Um, and in fact, uh, a replication study showed the opposite. 
family businesses, in fact, do much better than we think. And, and that was what? Like, that was in the mid-80s, wasn't it? Like, 85 uh, or something? The, well, the Ward study was 1987, yeah. which is relevant to the Williams and Presser stuff. But basically, um, by the late um, 2000s, uh, uh, there was a call for replication of better research. And then in 2011, um, a wonderful study that was done by Babson and some others, um, uh, Tom Zellweger, um, basically looked at business families and how well they succeed. And so the whole Ward 1987 study basically was um, put into an appropriate place of uh, you know something at the right time, the right place, but right. outdated. I, in the past two years, actually really took a deep dive into the Williams and Presser uh, material. And I recently published a couple of articles um, that essentially I followed every citation, every reference in everything that was written back to the original sources, looked at the original sources and what they actually said and discovered that it was all built on the Ward 1987 study. And the inverse of 30% make it through the second generation is 70% fail. And there's really nothing else beyond that. Everything else eventually points back to it. So I think for the audience, the relevance is we have been telling clients the odds are against you. We have been talking to particularly G1 wealth creators who, you know, in my and Dennis Jaffe's terminology are immigrants to the land of wealth through great difficulty. They come to the land of wealth and they're afraid that it's going to go away. And what we have said to them is instead of saying your fears are understandable, let's look at what can be done. We have said, your fears are actually true. It is likely your family will not succeed. And then we cite the statistics. Um, and therefore, let's see if we can do something that will avoid the curse of church sleeves to church sleeves. And so we build in pessimism. And what I was saying is it's time that we step out from under the shadow of shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve. It's time that we stop telling people they're going to fail because in actuality, we don't know. Those are old data, another time, another place. Um, and there's, we know, for example, we, you and I have talked about the 100 Years Family Project. Um, it's time that we look at who succeeds, that we actually said, we don't know instead of giving false statistics, conveying as if we do know, and that um, there's actually more evidence that people are doing better than we think if we just pay attention. You know, and this the reason this really intrigued me was because I think we've talked about this. <clears throat> I got into this because I was an estate planning attorney and I had the case where we had uh, phenomenal estate planning, passed a half, a half a billion dollar estate in the 1980s, which is real money. <laughs> Uh, and had two two kids. One kid um, ran three businesses bankrupt in a decade and and blew his entire share. Kind of got to work at that. Yeah. And the other one drank himself. And he was that other, second one was a friend of mine. He drank himself to death in seven years. Yep. And so when I started, and it was all because he was overwhelmed. He didn't, you know, 
he got this money he hadn't earned. He didn't know what to do. And, you know, and right. he wasn't prepared. So I started doing research to find out what I did wrong. And of course, I found those first study. The first thing I saw was the quote from the, what is it, philosopher or whatever in China from 2000 years ago that wealth, you know, never wealth does not survive three, three generations. generations. Right. Yeah. You know, and then all the other ones. Well, the problem is, I mean, so we've, historically, we know we anecdotally we have that. Is that 3%? Is it 97%? I mean, we don't know. We just know that there's this, this issue that some that in three generations, there could be a problem. And what was interesting is then there was a lot of people that were doing, there were studies on what's going wrong. Right. And I looked at it and went, who cares what goes wrong? I want to know what goes right. So yeah. let's study the families that were successful. And so that's what we did. I mean, we just studied the families that were successful and said, okay, here's what we think it takes. And and you know, that's and we were talking earlier. We came, we have our 12 points, which are similar to the 10 yeah. domains, you know. But basically, it was if they have this culture of communication, trust, and mentoring, which mentoring is a big deal in that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, wrapped around a family purpose, the 90% didn't rule didn't apply. Yeah. But we didn't know where the tipping point was, which is exactly where we're at today. Um, exactly. And so, you know, that's why. And, you know, like we have talked about, is it the same if it's a million dollar state versus a $50 million state or a hundred million dollar state? <laughs> well, I think, Rod, that's an important part of the question. And it leads to what you and I have been talking about, about the need for better research. Right. Uh, Wealth 2.0 was uh, a big step forward. But the problem is certain things were built in. Number one, um, and you know it was the time and the place uh, no no power against anybody else but the idea of one thing is aspects of how we thought about it were simplistic mm -hmm. for example the idea that um wealth is a homogeneous population you just said something which is you know a, a five million dollar estate and a 500 million dollar estate they're both wealthy in certain terms but they're very different um, different kinds of families and stuff. So the idea that there is a binary measure of success or failure, that there's a common set of success factors for all the different kinds of families of wealth at all the different levels in all the different cultures and stuff. We in 3.0 are being more fine-grained uh, looking at the complexity of wealth. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of, in my article, one of the things that I talk about is we actually need to let go of a measure being success or failure, which usually translates to longevity of the money. Right. To um, outcomes, patterns of outcomes. There may be three or four or seven uh, prototypical outcome patterns. And so it very well may be that we need to figure out, you know, what is the direction a certain family is going in, or are they going to fit um, a certain outcome, and how to move them to which outcomes are better, which outcomes are worse, or how to, whatever. Our thinking is much more sophisticated at this point, and the research needs to reflect that. Well, and, you know, in all fairness, we all know that uh, pain, <laughs> you know, pain sells. You know, 
pain cells, pain cells. Fear, fear cells. I mean, like sex, fear cells. you know, people will run from pain before they'll run towards pleasure, you know, so you know, I, I, I get it all. And and we, I mean, it's on, we've got it all over our stuff too. And like you said, oh, in, yeah. in, your, in your book too, we won't have it. Um, but, you know, like, like we said, it's time. And, and let's talk a little bit about how this has been growing. Cause this, you know, that was back in, we started in the John's, John's thing was what, 87. And then we had some stuff in the nineties and stuff. But if you look at the last five, you know, seven, eight years, five, we're just years, talking about like yeah. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Things have shifted. I mean, you know, that, you know, even, even in, in other planning worlds, I mean, even think about yeah. how many years ago was it that there wasn't even wealth planning, there was financial planning, right? <laughs> I mean, there wasn't even, the term didn't even come around for a while. But even now, like you said, outcome driven, um, there's, it's shifted. It, I think it's shifted. It started in the philanthropic world when the rising generation came up and said, wait a minute, I want to know what's the impact of my dollar. Yes. You know, and before that, you know, our gen, my generation was, the, if they wanted to help the community, they wrote a check to United Way and hope that they did yeah. good things. Right. <laughs> and, and now they're, they're going, no, and I want to know what happens to my dollar. And now it was outcome driven. And, um, and uh, we have one of the podcasts we do is with uh, David York, who's an estate planning attorney out of Salt Lake. And he was saying, you know, I believe that as a estate planning attorney, I should be the first one they talk to. And I was drafting these wonderful plans that took care of all the assets and the taxes and all that kind of stuff. But then realized that many of my plans were probably contrary to what the family's purpose really was. Yes. yes. <laughs> so so oh, maybe yeah. we need to start with what the family purpose is and then do the best tax planning and stuff we can. And that shift in the mindset, I mean, you know, John A started fighting this back in what was it, probably the 90s oh, he, with the purposeful been, trust. Doing this crusade for a long time, uh, uh, which is why PPI has been so great. And, you know, in some ways, um, uh, and Dennis Jaffe and Kristen Keffler and I talk about this a lot. Uh, we wrote the article on Wealth 3.0 came out in the February issue of Trust and Estates, and we're continuing to work on it. One of the things we actually were talking was related to what you had said. Um, in the same way in investing, mm -hmm. there has been a shift uh, for some people uh, away from benchmarks to goals-based investing. Are you getting to where you need to go as opposed to how are you related to some benchmark which may or may not apply? Um, in some ways, what we're talking about is sort of goals-based uh, wealth planning and and wealth focus uh where the goals include family goals right um uh, for example in the success or failure aspect uh and some of the writings like in williams and presser they talk about uh the measure is did the family stay together if the family didn't stay together that uh, then it was a failure actually we know now that um, most families prune the tree at various points across generations. Some branches go different ways. The family can have goals of flourishing or thriving that um, do various things with the money. But if they do it mindfully, if they work together toward it, and if it's successful for the branches uh, as time goes on, that's still the family is doing well with the right. goals they set right and that you know that really is we've been talking about that too the whole we call it outcome driven but the goals driven exactly you know it's you know 
when you start with in the financial planning world, the financial world, if you start with what is it that you want to do instead yeah. of saying how much do you want in retirement? What do you want to do in retirement? Yes. You know, and then let's figure out what that costs. And then, you know, then the measurement of success is not whether the Dow is up 20% or if it drops 50%, it's, do I still have enough to do what I want to do? <laughs> I mean, that, right. you know, that's the trigger now, you know, so now you're being measured against, are we, are we accomplishing what we want to accomplish? Not some index that has nothing to, that you can't control and has really nothing to do with whether you're, you're accomplishing what you want to accomplish. So well, Rod, you actually used a word in there that I want to emphasize because also it is dear to your heart and related to what you've been advocating for a long time. You said the word we. Right. Because one of the things about certainly wealth 1.0 and often in wealth 2.0 was who's the client? Uh, and we all know as advisors in various ways, the story of sitting across from usually the male, usually the white male, right. um, usually the over 60 white male um, as the client and the advisor focusing on the determination of goals and outcomes based upon what one person was saying. When you said, you know, are we getting to where we want to go to? I think that's a growing shift in uh, that's uh, going to be stronger in Wealth 3.0 of more people in the family being involved, understanding the system, different generations. Families now demographically are different than they were in the 1980s and 90s when some of the research was done. We're more diverse, women-led, uh, more voices from different generations and branches, more multicultural blended families. And so the whole shift, I think, to uh, wealth in families in now and for the future with diversity is another aspect of wealth 3.0 compared to 2.0. Well, and even when you talk about how you define family, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. How are we defining family? And uh, which I found, you know, I had a, a, a two brothers, okay, and for one brother, family was spouse, not partner, you know, <laughs> and, yes. and you got close if it was ring on finger date set. Yeah. But, you know, beyond that, you know, you weren't family. And the other, the other brother is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, I've got stepkids. got stepkids. I've got these people. We've got, you know, I, my, my daughter and her partner, you know, they're not going to be, they weren't in a state that could be spouses, you know, that's still family. And I think that is that you're right. That migration there is all part of all of this. And and seeing a we versus a the one person, the matriarch or the I. patriarch, that the I that's driving all this thing. And when even when you think about family governance, I'm working on some stuff on family governance. When you go back and look at the old family governance documents and things, it was all driven by I am telling everyone else this is yeah. how our, our world is. You know. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, to to bring this back together again and uh, uh, maybe talk a few minutes more about the need for more rigorous research. In some ways, what we're saying is we have kept repeating research that dates to the 1980s that was constrained by certain biases and ways of thinking. You know, what is the outcome? Who is being studied? What did the family look like then? Um, and that we needed to stop applying those old uh, so-called statistics 
to validate fears going into the 21st century with very different families. So we haven't still, we have to basically, um, we're left a bit with a void if we don't cite those studies. It's like, well, what are we going to do and what do we know? Yeah, there's no other yeah. numbers. <laughs> what are the numbers? Um, because, I mean, clearly, uh, you and I agree, wealth is difficult to sustain over time. Uh, my feeling in particular is part of it is uh, 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 the way that I often phrase it is something that's a little bizarre, which is actually most people don't know how to be wealthy. You know, they come to wealth as immigrants to wealth, and nobody has prepared them for the culture change and the dramatic differences that they're going to encounter living with wealth. And so they don't know what to do, and therefore bad things happen. We need research that, first of all, looks at the correct outcome measures, not success or failure. It has a diverse um, population cohort. Right. We study different levels of wealth and types of wealth. A $200 million family that's real estate owning is different than a $75 million family that's primarily investments through a high earning professional. Um, so we look at diversity. We look at what you just talked about. We looked at blended families, non-traditional families, um, uh, that we need research that is longitudinal, tracks families over time, instead of being um, retroactive and looking backwards. Um, so there's a lot of rigor that we need to reintroduce to what we do and what we say to clients um, so that we actually know what we are talking about going forward. Yeah. And this is not, I mean, just for those of you who are listening, this is probably not going to be done in 90 days. <laughs> yeah. right. This quarter, we're going to be able to have that. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it is, it, and it, Really, you know, first thing we needed to define, decide is defining what that research is. Yeah. You know, and that's what what do we need to know at round one? This is not going to be this research that, that you're looking at today is not going to be the end all be all. It's going to be step one. Exactly. And and, you know, since I've started talking about this and and as you saw, you know, Wealth 3.0 is basically going viral at right. this point starting from the rendezvous and since then and other stuff. Um, and so um, a variety of organizations have started to come forward, expressing interest in supporting the good research. Um, and, you know, as you and I talked offline, it's not that I'm creating uh, or, or, you know, coming up with Wealth 3.0. Dennis and Kristen and I, we're just naming it. This is a movement. Uh, as you pointed out in the beginning, that is a groundswell. And so the people who are interested in doing the research are feeling that. It's like, you know, we have felt this all along, but we didn't have a name for it. We want to contribute. We want to do it. And so I'm hopeful that we can get something done. Yeah, I am too. And, you know, this is, you know, for, for like I said, for me, this, it was personal because I had a friend that died that got yeah. into this um but you know even with your journey and my journey and john a's journey i mean we all kind of started at the same time mm -hmm. and uh so for us our 20th anniversary our 20th conference is coming up in may mm -hmm. and one of the things we want to look at is okay 
So what have, what have we seen in the last 20 years? And what do we hope to see in the next 20 years? Um, and this, so that's why this is so relevant. Yeah, to, perfectly. Yeah, this is, I mean, we're right there. And, you know, and I'm actually, I'm talking to John A and hopefully he can, he can come in and talk about when he first started talking about purposeful trust, that was like, he was a Martian talking. Oh yeah. Completely different language. Uh, and it took a long time for the, the estate planning world to even accept that that's a possibility. Well, that was the transition from 1.0 to 2.0. Uh, right. was, uh, you know, we've been through this before, a very difficult paradigm shift with a lot of resistance and skepticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Um, when you, you know, we talked about when we we're offline, we talked a little bit about the tipping point. And it mm -hmm. really does feel like starting back in about 2015 and you know the, uh, like as you know i was part of a group that was looking at this and mm -hmm. Kristen was part of that group and and we all looked around and said we don't have anybody to lead it so it just kind of disappeared <laughs> so we're really happy to see you and Kristen and and uh dennis you know yes, yeah. taking the lead <clears throat> for this because we knew it we needed it then but we were doing the same thing how do you define some of these terms and, and you know, what is what is family? What is success? Um, well, it's funny because this is where like right now, um, Dennis and Kristen and I, actually we had a conversation uh, last week. Uh, we're working on the next article uh, about sort of wealth 3.0 in action. What does it actually look like? And um, we have the benefit of being able to borrow quite a bit from positive psychology, which has been around right. for 20 years and more, and uh, some of the concepts there. Um, and so you're going to be seeing some writing coming forward. The idea of, wait a minute, if we don't define it all as simply wealth longevity, which has always been kind of the measure, does the wealth hang around? Um, does the family stay unified, even if they don't necessarily want to or need to? Um, so we're looking at um, what are some of the measures, um, how do we uh, look at how to define in the coming era, um, what is uh, the goals-based success, um, you know, and we're borrowing from a lot of things. So it's an incredibly energizing and exciting time, I think, in the field, which is another hallmark of a paradigm shift. It's difficult. Um, some people are saying, wait a minute, you know, don't we need a little fear to motivate people? Isn't a little fear a good thing? We stay vigilant. Yeah. Um, but I think we're going to be coming up in the next 10 years in particular with uh, fresh concepts that fit much better and has a much more positive story that we can tell clients compared to some of the pessimism of 2.0. Uh, I agree. And, and I, I mean, you look at again, again at how you're measuring success. I mean, you know, I've seen some of my clients in the old days, we have family foundation success was you kept that foundation going for, you know, 200 years. Yeah. And, and now I've had some that go in and go success is we will have distributed everything in 10 years and made a big difference in people's lives today. It's, it's not about dynasty. It's about, it's about what the results are. Yes. Did we do what we wanted to do? And if we did, we're done. We're done. Right. And, you know, it's not just about keeping our name out there or, or whatever. And that's a big shift. I mean, you know, from, from what people were talking about 20 years ago, and it's like, you, you know, even the comment you made about 
you know, positive psychology is about 20 years old. All of this yeah. stuff has really kind of started about 20 years ago, and it's working its way to where we're at today. It's coming together. And, and that's, that's one of the things I like the most about this, Rod, which is that there's a natural confluence and, and you use the word sort of critical mass and tipping point. When things come together at the right time in the right place with good people who are talking together about it, um, it usually means there's something to it and good things are going to happen. Well, and, and there's an attitude, which I think is, is really important. There's an attitude of collaboration amongst the people who are in this world. Yes. I mean, you look at purpose PPI, you know, that and and our community and things. Your like group that. in particular, yes, very much so. The and, you know, yeah, ultra high net worth and heritage institute, everybody. Yeah, and you know, everybody's sharing with everybody else, you know, and and the idea is, I think every somebody asked me way back when, I think it was in two when we first started this in about two thousand three. Somebody said to me what's your desired outcome? And when I said, my desired outcome is to have as many successful families as we can, how they're defining success. Yes. I mean, and that was, and we it was really on that. Yeah. And people were going, what's that mean? You know. <laughs> and so, you know, you go back and look and people have taken the stuff that we did and it's, it's gone, you know, other people are using it and people said, yeah. well, why aren't you suing? I don't want to slow it down. I, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want it to go. And that's what we're seeing with your stuff. I mean, you know, it's not like you guys are saying, oh, this is ours. It's how many people can we bring in? Well, it's funny because um, thank you for that. Uh, when, you know, Dennis Jaffe and I have been together for 20 years in various ways and multiple, multiple articles, two books and other stuff. And from the very beginning, we decided uh, we were going to take a page from the idea of uh, we would call it, in a sense, open source information that right. rather than being intellectual property and proprietary and we'd lock it down with frameworks and other stuff we wanted to give it away as much as possible and i think that's a value that you have shared because then everybody contributes and it grows and the bottom line is more people get helped and and you know to go with that neither one of us or even the two of us together don't have all the ideas no, I mean, no. that's the, the beauty of this is it, it one of the things that energizes me is we'll be talking to somebody and they'll come up with something and go, never thought of that. <laughs> right? <laughs> and we that's need that part. collaboration to, to build this. And like I like you said, it's I think it started in about 2015 where this wave is really starting to move and more and more people are seeing it and more and more institutions now, which weren't very excited about making any change are <laughs> getting well, involved now. I think, you know, maybe uh, we can draw this to a close on something that, that relates to that very much. Um, part of Wealth 2.0 that was a great idea was the rise of the concept of the trusted advisor. And, you know, how many books have been written about the trusted advisor and becoming the trusted advisor and those sorts of things. And actually, um, you know, that concept is now shifting probably in Well 3.0 to the trusted team. team. Yeah. That particularly at ultra high net worth level, the idea that one advisor is going to know everything and be successful and lock the client down. Um, and that collaboration, integration, uh, the trusted team being able to have the client at the center of the team and, and working on things 
we are talking more and more as a field about that as systems. Right. Uh, and so again, what when I hear people talk about the trusted advisor, it's like, well, that's really great, but you know, it has its drawbacks. And let's let's keep moving forward. It was interesting. I just did a thing when I was talking. They said, what's one of the attributes of a trusted advisor? And I said, the attribute of a trusted advisor is they have a collaborative team yeah. <laughs> to do all the things that they don't do because, you know, nobody can do it. No institution can do it. So uh, we're learning a lot as right. we go along and, and that this is how a field should be. It's exciting to talk about it with you and with others. And um, I think we are on the cusp of something that's really going to be wonderful. I do too. Well, thank you for this. Now, if somebody wants to learn more about you is, is it, and what you're doing, how do they do that? And, and if you want to say just a little bit about the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, I think that's because that's a big piece of all of this is we're sure. Uh, I have a website, uh, jamesgrubman.com. Okay. Uh, and you can email me to jim at jamesgrubman.com. And on my website, I post, uh, you know, actually podcasts like this, uh, articles, things that have come out. You'll see some of the articles like the one that I mentioned going a deep dive into the Williams Impressor material, uh, Wealth 3.0, other things. Um, and I am associated with this nonprofit think tank called the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, which is at uhnwinstitute.org. Um, and it's a collection of people who are putting their heads together about this. And uh, for example, talking a lot about integration and collaboration mm -hmm. and um we've come up with uh, what we call the 10 domains of family wealth the areas that families have needs in so um again this is a very exciting time and i would encourage anybody who wants to learn more about it to contact me uh through any of these venues and and ultra high net worth is a relatively new the institute is a relative oh, it's only a couple of years couple old, years old uh, yeah. i think for four years, maybe we've been around and particularly the last two doing more. So yeah. very new. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully people get, you know, a lot out of this. And if you do get a hold of Jim, get a hold of me, whoever, uh, because I think you heard at the end here, we are all in this to make everybody better. Um, so, and I really appreciate your having you on here and and for taking the time now because i know you're swamped with well it has gone viral <laughs> it, it is an exciting and very busy time but um you you were early on a lot of this you and i share a lot of similar viewpoints on this uh i think carrying it forward will take a team of people a group of right. people and so it's wonderful to be able to talk with you about it and we'll continue to do so all right great thank you very much take care